We ask people about their awareness of the the financial state of the commercial news media in Australia. And two-thirds of people did not know that the commercial news media was in a worse financial state than it was five years ago. It's incredible. Welcome to Crawford Media. My name is Hal Crawford, and today I'm speaking to Caroline Fisher, a former ABC journalist who has transformed herself into an associate professor of journalism. With her colleagues at the University of Canberra, Caroline has been collecting data on news. Who's consuming it, who trusts it, and who's willing to pay for it? One of the most interesting things I discovered in Caroline's work was a precise breakdown of the ideological positioning of Australian news outlets, this gauged by the politics of their audience, mind you. I wrote about that in the Crawford Media newsletter last week and published a graph that shows the major Australian news outlets ranked right to left. It's a really good graph and you should have a look at it if you haven't seen it. So the conversation today skips around a bit. Stay sharp and enjoy. My name is Caroline Fisher. I'm an Associate Professor of Journalism at the University of Canberra and a, uh, a member of the News and Media Research Centre. And I'm also a co-author of the Digital News Report, Australia. One of the big questions that comes out of our research with the Digital News Report is around trust. And with my colleague, Professor Sora Park, I've been engaged in, in a few projects examining the role of trust and its relationship to news consumption, people's willingness to pay for news, etc. And that's that's a question that still needs more exploration. And we're about to embark on a on a big uh, project about that to really get a much uh, better handle on the role of trust, particularly in the relationship to paying for news. And, and is it such a big issue? Do you have any advance indications that there might be a correlation between trust and willingness to pay? There's some, but it's not very big. Uh, so what we find is that the biggest indicator uh, for willingness to pay is actually whether or not people are interested in politics. If, if you're male, if you're interested in politics, you're, you're more likely uh, to pay for news. You're also more likely to be heavy news consumers and more likely to be interested in news generally. So men consume more news than women, for instance. How much more? So 60% of men are likely to, you know, seek out news more than once a day compared to 48% of women. So that's quite a big difference. Men, 50% of men are going to say that they're highly interested in news compared to 47% of women. And here we go on politics, 40% of the, the male participants in our survey say that they're highly interested in politics compared to just 24% mm. of women. That's very significant. So that that's a, a, a big difference. We also see differences in men are much more likely to read print newspapers and use online news offerings than women. Uh, and women are slightly more likely than men to get news from social media. So we have differences there as well. So 16% of men pay for news compared to 11% of women. That's a, a low percentages, but a, a big a relative difference there. Yeah, it is. And also, you know, we, it, it kind of comes back to these questions about media representation and relevance, et cetera, as well. You know, m women are less likely to feel represented, you know, in the media than men. 
And so, you know, this is, <laughs> there are economic arguments for kind of improving that for people, both for news businesses. Now, trust in news had been falling for many years until your last report where it saw a bit of a, a bounce back. So what happened to stop that slide and, and where's trust in news going? <laughs> yes, there was. We call it the COVID trust bump, but unfortunately it wasn't sustained. So in January, February 2020, the digital news report was in the field and the results from that survey found that around 38% of Australians agreed, you know, with the statement that they, you know, they trust most news most of the time. So we call that kind of general trust in news. So around 38% is pretty low. And then, of course, COVID started and we then did another study about news consumption during COVID and we took that, that survey was in the field in those first few months of that first national lockdown in April. And we asked then about, you know, do you trust the news about COVID-19 most of the time? And it was a much higher response. It was 53%, you know, considerably higher than trust in news generally. Uh, and we thought, wow, that's fascinating. You know, what is it about, you know, news about COVID that people are trusting more and and will this be sustained? So again, the digital news report survey was in the field again, January, February this year. And alas, trust in news generally has fallen uh, back, not, not to 38%, but it's fallen back to 43% of people trusting news, most news, most of the time. And we saw this up and down effect globally. So not just here in Australia. That's a, that's a little counterintuitive. What what do you think would have caused a a bump in trust, a, an increase in trust around COVID? Actually, I I think it really makes sense. I don't find it counterintuitive at all because what we know is is that the nature of COVID coverage actually changed. The nature of journalism coverage at the time changed in those early months of the pandemic. You know, we were suddenly faced with this kind of global health crisis and everyone was turning to the news. People were stuck at home watching television. News consumption really peaked. Uh, and people were relying on the news for this, you know, vital information. And the way the news was being reported shifted to a more, cons you know, community service orientation uh, that a lot of the kind of, you know, Political infighting, sensationalism, clickbait kind of fell away and news, you know, newspapers, news, online news uh, services, they dropped their paywalls because people saw this as an important, you know, public health issue. And so there was this real community and public service attitude taken to much of the reporting. We also saw the live streaming of press conferences, so not just 10-second grabs being, you know, cut out of context and whacked in a, in a, in a you know, a 50-second package on the commercial news. You know, people, people could see for themselves what was being said, the full press conference. They could see the performance of journalists. It was a very different climate, but then what we started to see towards the end of 2020, news reporting started to return to kind of business as usual and the political infighting started to return and, you know, the regular types of big crime stories and other stories started to creep back in onto the agenda and sort of knocking COVID-19 sort of slightly down and along with that kind of normal reporting practices. And so, you know, I think perhaps not unsurprisingly that the trust levels then have kind of dropped back again but still mm. higher than the previous year. It'll be fascinating to see whether it, you know, it is maintained, whether it climbs again next year or whether it falls again back to pre-pandemic levels, you know, in next year's survey. One of the other reasons that, that I wanted to speak to you was 
this famous page 105 in your digital news report for Australia. I'm surprised that when that came out, it didn't attract more attention or, or more people haven't discussed it. Could you just tell me exactly what that political orientation graph shows? Okay, so look, every year we ask the survey participants of the Digital News Report Australia survey to identify their political orientation on a scale from very left-wing through to very right-wing. And on the whole, we find that, you know, the majority of the participants in the survey, they, they identify with the centre of politics. And then we correlate their political orientation with the brands of news that they use. And so that the charts that you are looking at there on page 105 are a reflection of the self-identified political orientation of the audience. They're not an indication of the editorial political orientation of news outlets, just to be really clear there, okay? So the fact that they do, you know, kind of line up, I guess, with external perceptions of the editorial orientation of these news outlets, and I guess that just kind of reflects that perhaps these these brands do understand their audiences and, and they pitch their kind of content appropriately. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That when you look at that spread, what you see is that the spread on the right is, is much tighter, is much more constrained than the spread on the left. And there are much, there are many more news organisations in general on that left-hand um, side of the ledger. If the mean is determined in a certain way, how is that technically possible that there would be so many more outlets on the left? Okay, so there are two charts there on page 105. So the top one is about offline uh, traditional news brands. And actually, I think you'll see on that one that the spread is quite even on either side. And people who tend to use traditional news brands, you know, to access news tend to be older and and on the whole we find that they're they're more center, you know. They're more they're more center in their orientation, and so and you know, and it's primarily you see there around TV news, and TV news is still the main source of news in Australia, and so it's a fairly centrist audience, and all and all of the news brands attract kind of center audiences, really, other than the, the ABC and SBS. So the traditional news brand audience is is quite evenly spread, and in fact, the furthest away from from the centre, in fact, is, is Sky News and it's out there slightly. Where we see the, the real skew to the left is to do with online news brands and that's a trend we we see every year, that the audiences for online news brands tend to be more left-wing. That's partly to do with the fact that many of them are online only and those audiences tend to be younger. When we look at the demographic spread, younger audiences tend to be also more left-wing and younger audiences, yeah, tend to be you know, more online. It is interesting because in the UK and the US, they have they have corresponding data. Yeah. yeah. And their markets are much more polarised than ours. I mean, on the whole, um, particularly when you're looking at traditional news brands, and the Australian news market is, you know, audiences are nearly as polarised as they are in the US and the UK. Mm. Do you think that there's pressure to, to move outwards for news outlets to move towards those left and right extremes? We haven't yet seen a lot of change in the proportion of audiences, you know, consuming more right-wing or left-wing brands, you know, externally perceived right-wing or, or left-wing brands. But we have seen a shift in editorial positions of some news organisations at different times, and that's, you know, and that's generated a lot of kind of discussion in the media. And it's, it, 
you know, it's clearly part of their business strategy to firm up their audiences. But like I said, it must be said that the audiences for the for the left and the right wing outlets here are quite small compared to the centre oriented outlets. So regional news consumption, the paper that you put out entitled Regional News Audiences Value Perception of Local News. I, I got to say, uh, Caroline, I didn't approach it full of hope, but I I really enjoyed it. And one of the reasons I didn't approach it full of hope was not so much that I knew local news was was in dire trouble. I think everyone knows that. I approached it that way because it was a perception study. And I thought, well, you know, just asking people what they think only gives you limited information. But then on reading it, I discovered that that actually perceptions can be quite valuable. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, firstly, this, the survey that we did with these uh, regional news consumers, you know, it was only measuring uh, perception and I guess their intention, you know, rather than their actual behaviour. So absolutely, that's one of the limitations. But what we did find was that people who had experienced the closure or loss uh, of a local news service in, the, in their area in the past five years, that meant they had lower satisfaction with, with the news and information offerings in, in their area. They were, they were much more interested uh, in seeing the development of a new local news offering, you know, to fill that local gap. And there is a tension between, you know, the social value of news, you know, the, the social value, this emotional connection, the sense of belonging that we know that local news creates for people and the financial value. and. And this tension, you know, was also borne out in in the Digital News Report 2020, where we also asked people, would you miss your local newspaper or local radio station, you know, if it were to close? And, you know, three quarters of people said that, yes, they would miss their local newspaper were it to close. But the tension there is then around, yes, but are they prepared to pay for it to keep it open? You know, and this is, this is where it, it's difficult because... We, we ask people about that as well, you know, and what we find is that only 13% of Australians are paying for news and, you know, and around about the same percentage are, are prepared to pay for it in the future. But it's lower in regional areas. Only about 10% of regional news consumers say that they're prepared to pay for news in the future. <laughs> there is this real tension there, you know, that there is clearly a social value, an emotional value, this, this connection with community that local news plays you know a vital role in but that's that is intention but are you prepared to pay for it yeah it's it was really interesting to see that that discrepancy between the explicit valuing of it and then a much lower proportion of people saying yes but i'd be willing to pay for it i hope certainly that that's changing around news what, what do you think so it's not really changing. Uh, it's changing very, you know, very slowly. So, yeah, we have a, a real culture of free news in Australia. I mean, we have, you know, a big range of very high quality free news services. TV news, as I said earlier, is still the, you know, the main source of news for Australians. You know, free-to-air news services are still the most popular. And a lot of online news is also free. What we are seeing, though, it is generational. There is younger people, you know, they're growing up in a culture of online commerce. You know, they pay for all sorts of stuff. And we are seeing um, signs that amongst younger generations, there is a stronger willingness to pay for news in the future. What do you think are the most important things that, that came out of the digital news report for this year? Firstly, one of the things that's 
kind of new and and important is the results around media representation. So this year we asked people about how satisfied they were with the way the media portrays you know people like themselves and whether or not they thought that that coverage was fair and whether or not enough whether or there was enough of it whether it was adequate. And, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, older men were pretty happy uh, with the amount of coverage they got uh, and the fairness of that coverage. And also perhaps unsurprisingly, young women in particular uh, felt that coverage of, of, of people like them wasn't so fair and that there wasn't enough of it. And so that, that was really interesting. And the... The correlation with trust is important because what we found was that people who were less satisfied with the way they were portrayed in, by the news media also had lower trust in the news media. And, you know, there's an important push for increased diversity in news coverage and, and among staff in newsrooms at the, at the moment. And it's clear that if there is a link with trust and being seen by the news media and seeing yourself in the news media, then that's a pretty important strategy for those news organisations to adopt. One of the really interesting and I think concerning findings in the report this year was that, you know, we asked people about their awareness of the, the financial state of the commercial news media in Australia and, you know, two-thirds of people did not know that the commercial news media was in a worse financial state than it was five years ago. It's incredible and, and really concerning. The other thing that we found, which is also very interesting, is that increasingly people are, you know, going, turning to social media to access news. And one of the questions we asked this year was about their motivation for going to social media for news. And, you know, the, the, the main motivation for people was not to seek news directly or intentionally. Most people, you know, kind of bumped into news incidentally while they were there doing other things. Now, we know that, you know, more than half of Gen Z primarily use social media platforms to get news. It's their main source of news. It's growing as the main source of news across all age groups, even amongst 75, people aged 75 and older. So there's this incidental news consumption behaviour going on on social media. If you're not that engaged in the news, you're only bumping into it incidentally you're not going to know, you're not going to be that aware about the financial state of the news media, you know, because you're just not that heavily engaged in news. So can you give us any idea of exactly how fast local news operations are disappearing? Just since 2016, our data shows that, you know, the audiences for regional newspapers have halved since 2016 from about 34% of regional news consumers accessing their, their local newspaper down to 17% in 2021 print news consumption. That's, a, that's an incredibly low number, isn't it? Se only yeah. 17% of people in the past week have accessed their local media, regional, the, regional the media. newspaper. Yeah, but, you know, the, the decline for print news uh, papers overall is, is pretty similar. What we see then in regional areas, there's this, been this decline in print specifically. TV is still very strong, but there's been a growth in social media. So, so people are turning to, you know, to news, accessing news via social media in regional areas. People are shifting across to social media to access news. Now, exactly what they're accessing there, we don't know whether or not that's just your local, you know, neighbourhood group or whether that's some other type of national or international news source. But there's not many, you know, very, uh, very local social uh, media news brands at the moment that would be filling that accountability journalism gap left by the closure of a newspaper. So is the lack of advertising or, or the collapse of the advertising model, is this the biggest obstacle for entrepreneurs getting into 
local news? The lack of advertising is going to be an issue in some communities. Like I say, some local newspapers in particular have weathered the storm really well because they are local, they're independent, they come from the community. The people who run them are from that community. There is a really strong bond and the stories they tell really reflect that community well. They've got loyal audience and the businesses are loyal to it. In some instances, like I say, advertising isn't a big issue. But for entrepreneurs, they don't have that, con- you know, necessarily that connection, especially if they're coming from the outside. You know, it takes a long time to develop that strong local connection and and loyalty. So I think that is going to be an obstacle for newcomers uh, who are trying to crack into local markets. I think though, you know, what we've seen with our research is that there is, you know, low willingness to pay. In in the survey that you mentioned earlier that we did of regional news, con- news consumers, we did actually ask people how much they'd be prepared to pay if, you know, for a, a new, truly local sort of grassroots news offering that had, a re- you know, a reporter based in their area. People said that they were interested in that, especially if they'd experienced a closure of a news outlet. But the most commonly chosen amount that people were prepared to pay was only about $5 a month. You know, it's not a lot. I think in trying to establish an operation, there's also staffing and resourcing issues because a lot of these outlets, particularly if they've gone to online only and, you know, they've been reduced to like single-person operations and things like that, a lot of these little outlets are run by individual people, maybe part-time often very junior people. They might have been recruited and they actually don't come from the area. So there's a lot of fatigue, isolation, and there could be a lack of mentoring and training, etc. So, you know, depending on the size of the operation that the entrepreneur is trying to set up, you know, that, that these are tough considerations, not just financially, but for your personnel as well. Other issues would be, I think, around sort of the age of the population, depending on what type of um, offering it was, if it's a particularly kind of hip online social media offering, you know, your older regional audiences mightn't be so keen on that. And in some quite remote places, connectivity would still be an issue for some people as well, particularly if the new offering was, you know, an online-only offering. A while back I spoke to Simon Creera about his PS Media startup and, and that model is one of community ownership, asking a community effectively to buy into the ownership of their local news masthead. Are you familiar with that model, Caroline, and do you think it it, it has got legs? Yeah, look, we have also done some work with Simon in the past, actually, to to kind of get a sense of uh, the demand for, you know, new startups in, in local and regional areas. And so I'm a bit familiar uh, with the work that he's doing uh, with PS Media with Margaret Simons. Look, like you say, I think, it's, you know, it's quite a well-designed model, you know, based on this co-ownership model. I think it will it will take time to be recognised as a genuine local service. Once it establishes itself over time as a genuine local service, it, it, it may well attract, you know, strong local sponsorship and advertising and support from the community. Caroline, what about your uh, personal journey? How did you come <laughs> to academia after uh, having a career... In media, I began as a cadet uh, reporter with the ABC in Brisbane. You know, far too long ago. Gosh, thirty years ago. And then, you know, sort of for, for around you know fifteen years, I worked in TV news, a bit of radio, uh, worked on landline, and for Radio National in my time at the ABC. And I also spent a couple of years working in politics. And I was married to a journalist as well, a political reporter. 
And two people, you know, doing shift work isn't so great with young kids. And so after the birth of my second daughter, I um, decided to try things that were a bit more family friendly. And we were in Canberra and I tried my hand at tutoring at University of Canberra in the journalism program and I absolutely loved it. Then I had to backfill someone, decided I wanted to make the full-time transition to university teaching and research and I needed to do a PhD. I'd luckily had a master's and I they accepted me into the PhD program and I got my PhD in 2014 and I've been researching, you know, in journalism, media and, and communication and teaching in those areas ever since. For me personally, I'm really interested in, you know, the state of political journalism and, you know, if if I had the money and the time, I would really like to be investigating that and, and what's being done there. One of the other areas that I think really needs research at the moment is looking at the long-term impacts, short-term and long-term impacts of these commercial agreements that have been struck between the digital platforms and individual news businesses. There's, you know, a lot of issues around those. There's been a lack of transparency around them. There's been no requirement to spend those funds on public interest journalism, et cetera. So I think there's, you know, there's there's a really big need to examine, you know, the impacts of these deals, not just on those news organisations, but on the news environment generally. In my adventures in in media elsewhere, I've I've talked to journalism educators and and uh, some of them uh, comment to me that the nature of the students has changed over the years and they find that their undergraduates are much less engaged with news even if they are studying media. Has that been your experience? I think that's largely true, that on the whole students are not that engaged with what's happening in the news. But can I say there is always a really hungry and engaged kind of 10 to 15% of your students who are and uh, and they and they're ferociously consuming the news and know absolutely what's going on and we do you know weekly news and current affairs tests and they you know they get 10 out of 10 every week so there is that hungry minority who really do know what's going on and they're the ones ultimately who get the jobs and who you know in the traditional news media who've come into the course really aspiring to become you know, a journalist. Lots and lots of our undergraduate students do the journalism degree for other reasons. You know, what's become really apparent is, you know, the the really useful transferable nature of journalism skills in a whole range of roles. I mean, basically any job these days has a communications component to it and being able to create, you know, credible quality uh, content, tell really good stories that are, you know, verified and interesting, you know, are skills that you you acquire in a journalism degree. And people really see that. I, you know, I see a lot of students who are doing double degrees. They might be doing law and they'll do it with journalism. I, I even had a graduate once who, in fact, became a, a pastor and he loved the fact that he'd learned how to podcast so he could podcast his sermons. So there's a lot of reasons why people do journalism these days. There's always been this kind of minority hungry core of students who really want to to get in there and and be part of the fourth estate. And then there's a whole bunch of others who do it because our, they see that communication skills are so important and they're going to use that in, in whatever job they go into. Caroline, thanks very much for talking to me. It's been absolutely fascinating. 
It's my absolute pleasure. So the takeaway is, if you want the best chance of getting a paying customer, cover politics and do it for a male audience. The other thing that sticks in the old brain, TV news is still the biggest game in town. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.